0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer
1: the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A
2: swing and a high fly ball.
3: Deep right field. It's a
2: slam.
4: This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron. How about the old Uncle Charlie here the pitch? Swing and a miss, threw the fastball right by him, and he strikes him out for the third time. And that's eight Ks for the Cardinal Herman Now, Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Ameren on the Cardinals Radio Network.
5: Welcome to a special holiday edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren. Hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Along with Mike Claiborne, I'm Chris Raby, Ben Boyd, is our executive producer. Clebs, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.
6: Same to you, sir. It's good to see you. I hope everything went well with you and yours.
5: You know, it has been a fantastic year of not just Cardinals baseball, but also some of the great conversations we get to have, some of the great shows that you, Mike Shannon, put together from the ballpark. And what a list of guests and what a group of conversations, uh, many of which are going to get to relive tonight.
6: Yeah, we, we were very fortunate this season to have a chance to talk to some people and get some real good stuff. Uh, we had some good laughs, and we had some pretty insightful things that took place. And uh, it started off with Keith Hernandez. We laughed a lot with Bob Euchre. <laughs> Willie McGee is Willie McGee. And I think you and I have the pool going, who's going to get the loudest ovation on opening day? Willie McGee, Jose Okendo, or the new players that are gonna come on board with the Cardinals.
5: Yeah, there are some uh some good options yes. there. We'll hear from John Smoltz as well, Tony La Russa and Walt Jockety, Mark McGuire, the Cardinals Hall of Famer, plus Tim McCarver, and we'll talk winter warm up with Michael Hall just a couple of weeks now from winter warm up over at Hyatt Regency at the Arch. It is only just a couple of weeks away, and hopefully we'll have better
6: weather than we had last year where we were iced out and it was just a real unfortunate situation. But uh I'm predicting the weatherman will be much kinder to all of us for the winter warm up.
5: Yeah, knock on wood. And it's been pretty mild so far. So we hope that 2018 brings the same. What do you think 2018 brings for this club? Because as we've talked about so much, Claibs, very uncharacteristic to be on the outside of the postseason looking in two years in a row, but some big additions already for the Cardinals. Their work may not be done, and a real opportunity. And I think the team really relishing the challenge of competing again, not just in the division, but in the National League. Well, I think they're in a position now where you're right.
6: They're not trying to win the division. They're trying to get back to the World Series. You know, when you look at this team and you look at what's going on, I would say anticipation because we're seeing some faces we haven't seen before. And I think there's a newfound resurgence of, hey, we can do this. So I would look at this as being a season of anticipation and hope and and staying away from the devastating injury.
5: Well, we want to see you at the ballpark. Cardinals 5-, 6-, and 10-game ticket packs on sale now and feature the top promotions of 2018. Choose from the opening day pack, Cubs pack, bobblehead pack, T-shirt pack, and more. Packs start at just $48. Get yours now at cardinals.com slash packs. We'll kick off great conversation with Keith Hernandez next. It's a holiday edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren, Chris Raby, and Mike Claiborne. With you, Ben Boyd as well. We're back after this on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Make your plans to head south this winter for sunny skies, warm beaches, and Cardinals baseball. Packages available to fit everyone's schedule and budget. Make your reservations at 1-800-892-7687 or cardinals.com slash vacations. Welcome back. Just getting started, a holiday edition of the program. Chris Raby and Mike Claiborne with you as we kick off some of the great conversations that we've had over the past year. We begin with Cardinals legend Keith Hernandez. Who
4: taught you how to play the game?
7: The father. Oh, okay, but on a big league level, um, yeah. a lot of people, you know, on a big league level, I learned from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Who
4: would you like you to watch? Of course, you got to Lou
7: there. was was <laughs> was. I mean, Lou gave me great advice. Know your catchers. Mm-hmm. Watch how they're pitching left hand hitters. Mm-hmm.
6: Um, yeah. Who would you like to watch play? You mentioned Al Oliver on the opposition. Who were some of the other players you used to look? Dave
7: like? Parker was the best player of his generation for those three years when he won the batting title two years in a row. Yeah dave parker could play and throw in all and aspects, play the outfield yeah. and run and how intimidating was he dave winfield was a hell of a player at, with the padres was a hell of a player and um i like to watch him um there's so many players that came by down the pike i mean mccovey was on his last legs in san diego
4: then so Too bad, but um, because he could set pitchers up better than anybody ever saw, because he didn't have anybody to protect him down there. I
7: just saw him, and uh, I just saw him in San Francisco. I always go and say hello to him. He's such a wonderful man. Yeah, I remember he hit a home run off Dion Drysdale, and Drysdale never, Drysdale never (laughs) threw at him, never threw. Did
6: anybody throw at you?
7: Oh, yeah. Sure. Shane, Rale- Shane Raleigh almost took my chin off one time. Because I peaked once in a while oh, off a left-hander late. Guys, okay. Late in the game, I would never peak. I'd only peak if it was the seventh inning on, tight game, and a left-hander. I didn't give. If a right-hander, I didn't care.
6: Would you peak? I would it, want to know area. If I okay, saw a catcher
7: right. setting up away uh, or in. And I would just pick one or two pitches, and it would be in a clutch situation late, late and close. And the Phillies got hip to it. So Shane Rowley undressed my butt one time. I felt the wind under my chin. And so the next pitch, I hit a friggin' bullet right by his ear. (laughs) Loved it.
6: (laughs) What's it like to to be in that position where when when you're really swinging the bat well and you can do anything you want to do to any pitcher you're facing, that confidence that you have?
7: Well, I could play the ball. From gap to gap, and that pitch, Mike will tell you, that pitch is down the middle. It's inner half, outer half, in in. So it's a, it's not off the corners. That's a ball you can pull, or a ball you can go the other way. So that was the pitch perfect for me to hit and run. I can. It's almost like playing tennis when they kind of disguise their forehand, mm-hmm. whether they're gonna go down the line. I could do that, but my was I was taught my whole life to go up the middle. And I was very reluctant to to change, and I had a conversation with Don Mattingly uh, three years ago, and he's playing at Yankee Stadium where you want to pull.
4: Yeah. So
2: mm-hmm.
7: I was saying that pitch down the middle. I used to love to get it and just let it come into my. I would just I would see it in slow motion, and I would see the ball leave my bat, and my bat would would recoil, and I would just play it into left center field and drive it, not no ping hitter, you know, no Judy over to left field. I mean, drive it. I could have pulled that pitch and maybe hit more home runs, but I was so afraid to get pull happy that I would get out of my game, and that's my stubbornness and my conservatism, I guess. And that's my rote that I wish I had been a little more experimental and learned to pull. If you were in
4: San Francisco, you would have – that's the way they taught it out there.
7: Yes. So – and Mattingly said, well, I would go, and it was just a matter for me, to go to left center field is like golf, hitting it deeper in the, they call it deeper in the strength zone, okay, get it deeper in. Mm-hmm. For Mattingly, it was just go get it a little bit. Go get the bat out of the angle to lift it. And it made perfect sense to me, and I wish someone had told me that when I played. We're out of time, Uh
4: Mike, I think we got a hitting lesson tonight on how to approach things. But you have to, uh, you have to do it individually, okay. What works for f- yes, yeah, well, you find what for works him. for you. And it it, 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 it all makes sense, okay. What he's talking about, but it makes sense to him. And for you, it's going to has to fall into place, okay. It just has to fall into place, just like it fell into place for. That's the for great him.
6: thing about this game. Uh, what works for you may not work for someone else, and exactly. you have thousands
4: of different well, batting. Hold on a second, now, and it didn't work for him at times either. No, and he had to learn it. Okay, all the things that he's talking about tonight, the, that he had to learn. That didn't come to him. Okay, he learned all that stuff, and he paid attention. He listened, and he worked on it. Yep. And uh, one real quick, I know we got to go. Ralph Kiner was
7: in the booth, and Hall of Famer. <clears throat> I asked Ralph one time on a plane, and we were running somewhere, and we we're in New York. We're in the middle, flying somewhere, and I go, Ralph, when you went in a slump, what'd you do with your extra BP? And Ralph said, I'd pull the ball as far foul as possible. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> I would pull the ball into the down the left field line mm-hmm. into the bleachers to get out of my slump. And to me, it was just, yeah, I'll go over yeah, the shortstop's head because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm out in front. Right. I wanted to bring it back. It worked for Ralph. Did you ever try it? No, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't. <laughs> I didn't hit. I didn't hit. I didn't lead the league in home runs five years in a row. Right. But it, <laughs> that was the darndest thing I ever heard.
4: That's the one thing about this game, Mike. You can, right, turn right, the ballpark, exactly and you can learn said, something what, every all, day from somebody right, when it comes and, to that and stuff. And what he did, he he applied himself. Okay, now he took a lot of other people to, to do this and do that, but he applied it to himself and he learned himself. Okay, he'd say, you know, I can't do that. I have to do it this way. So that's that's another thing too. I'm a I was a third hitter. My father always said, third
7: hitter and fourth hitter are the two prestigious spots in the lineup. Your third hitter is your best average hitter. He's a clutch hitter and he has a good. It wasn't on base percentage. He gets on base, sets up, as well as drives in for the guys the four, five, and six. Hitters behind the third him. hitters
4: are the most talented.
7: So when right. I was here in St. Louis, in this big ballpark, I couldn't try to hit home runs, and it was 386 in the gaps. Yeah, but, you still,
4: but you still hit home runs. The, 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 the number three hitter could do anything. Okay? Right. That's, you know, look at your hitters. Mujo, Gwynn. Yeah. They're all number But Stan could have hit, hit cleanup too, you know. Well, yeah, they could, but they were all three hitters. Okay. Oh. DiMaggio you know, weren't right. three. So <laughs> when I went to New York
7: and I had. Carter and Strawberry and McReynolds behind me, three guys that hit 20-plus, 30-plus home runs, I didn't have to worry about home runs. I'm now, I can do my thing, Table drive in the runs, and also set up. Those guys. I take great pride in my, all my cleanup hitters drove in 100 runs, it's most incredible. of them, because I scored a lot of runs. Hey, this is always fun when you come to town. Thank you so much. It's always good. It's always good to see you guys. And Mike, always good to see you. Mike always treated me good, you know. He got me in trouble I mean. one time when I got broke out of my slump in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I hit the triple off of uh, Candelaria. I was uh-huh. in a big, bad slump. And I went out and got drunk. The night before, and I told Moon, and, uh, and uh, remember you remember that. You don't remember? So I'm coming to the clubhouse, and Moon goes, I want to do an interview with you. And I go, okay. Goes, what, what? I said, well, I just went out and got drunk last night. My dad always told me, when you're really in a bad slump, just go get a heat on. Don't think about it. Go to sleep. Go to the ballpark. I, had a, I beat Candelaria with a th- bases loaded triple. And I told Moon, and he put me on the air, I got more grief in St. Louis after that. So you're blaming me. I
1: yes.
7: priests calling me and saying, what are you doing?
5: Hey, donate a card to Goodwill for four free Cardinals tickets. We appreciate Goodwill. We're back. Bob Eucher, a man who needs no introduction, but Mike Claiborne will give one next on Cardinals. Countdown to opening day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network.
6: Welcome back, everybody. We continue with Countdown to Opening Day here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Clay Warren along with Chris Raby. Well, if you're looking for some laughs, we've got the next segment coming your way. The one and only Bob Euchre had a chance to visit with Mike Shannon and I. One of the great Cardinal moments in broadcasting was when Jonathan Winters
4: walked in the booth (laughs) with Mike (laughs) and John. That was hilarious. Do you you recall Mm -hmm. having
6: one of those moments? You've been in the booth a long time. You've had a lot of people walk in there. He's one of them. What did he do with you? Did he go with the Willis routine? No. Um, I I was
3: actually doing uh, the Tim Conway show one night, Mm -hmm. okay? And we're rehearsing all week. Jonathan Winters is going to play the mother of the Dorff family, okay? (laughs) And I'm going to be a reporter, and I'm going to interview him. And I've known Jonathan Winters for a long time, and I'm really looking forward to really working with him to do this Dorff family stuff. First of all, working with Tim Conway is almost impossible because he tries to make you laugh all the time.
6: Well, the Carol Burnett thing, oh, you know, Harvey I mean, Corman would he, make I mean, each he's, other. He's unbelievable. Yeah.
3: But with with Tim and Jonathan Winters, Jonathan got sick about halfway through the week, and he couldn't do the show, so they got Ruth Bussey. To do oh, you know Maud fricker or whatever you want to call her well it was really funny but it wasn't like jonathan you know i really wanted to work with him but to try and work with tim he's playing a godfather guy in a tomato patch and he's that little guy the Dorf mm-hmm, family yeah he's a golf pro he's a jockey uh he had seven hall of fame jockeys on the show and he he was an aerobics instructor one of the Dorf family was aerobics instructor when he came out of his dressing room and he had a one-piece ladies' bathing suit on, and I'm looking at him. And he said, "He said, Bob, it's a living, you know." And <laughs> well, then he has these jockeys doing a dance routine, and you know how big they are, anyway, right? Um, to to be around those guys like that all the time, and I, and I was around them, and I, I love being around them to to do this stuff with them. But Jonathan Winters came into our clubhouse in Los Angeles one night. The Dodgers just beat the tar out of us. They really beat us bad. Bertie Tebbets was our manager at the mm. time. I didn't know Jonathan Winters was from Cincinnati. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, he comes here he comes walking in the clubhouse, and he's got a Cincinnati Reds uniform on. It was so tight, it looked like it was painted on him. You know, his big fat moon sticking out in the back. And, he, and we just got beat really bad. And all the guys are down, and open the door, and here he comes in. How can you not laugh at this guy, right? And he walked into Bertie Tebbett's office because Bertie managed the Reds, and they were great friends. But that's the first time I ever saw him, you know, really where I was close to him. And, he, and he's talking really weird, talking about it's not that bad of a game. Well, you can't, looking at him with this tight outfit on, and he, you know, he's. Mm-hmm. He's a little beefy at that time. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it was unbelievably funny, and he became one of my favorite guys from from then on. He was hilarious. To oh, me. I, I, I.
4: You know, you know the guy in San Francisco that had the uh, 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 what's the name of that club out there? The Hungry Eye. The Hungry Eye. Yeah. yeah. You know, he gave everybody. Well, he and he and uh, Jonathan were uh, friends, and then when he when he uh, was. Uh, uh, sick, and he was drinking at the same time. <laughs> he climbed the mask out there, you know. Enrico went up to see him at the uh, where they sent him at the sanitarium, okay. And there's this guy walking up and down the the, the brick wall with a chair. And Jonathan said, what, "What's he doing?" I said, "I told him to walk up and down there. When I gave him the word, throw the chair against the wall, we'll all tumble down. We get out." <laughs> I mean, he had the doctors. He had the <laughs> doctors so messed up, you know, the psychologists, oh, the psychiatrists. They had like, to go back you know, to night school. Oh, he had yeah, down. Down. It it was like, I mean, you can't yeah. believe. it. Hey, when he had that last show he had on television, oh, man, he's we were we were in San Francisco and we're having dinner at this place, and he walks in with his entourage and all the, all, all the. Uh, he was unbelievable. The what do you call it, the, the guys that pay for the show and all that? So he's just with us at dinner, and they ate and everything. Said Jonathan is his. his, his uh, 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 manager kept coming with Jonathan. We're waiting for us. He, eh. he, he was unbelievable. I he mean, just he just had was... fun. You can't believe him. Did you ever funny. see the show with him and Robin Williams?
3: Oh, gosh, no. it's yeah. insanity! Yeah. It's yeah. insanity yeah. on on the Tonight Show. They were on the Tonight Show together. It, it, it's insane. Um, but I think those, all the those people, guys... Bob.
4: If you if you sat down and, and, and oh, wrote, I've there's... been around, a lot of them. I mean, yeah. really. You know, it, what, what, you know. For, forget the baseball players, yeah. but the, the, the guy like we talked about in, in Pittsburgh, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, well, all the, all the all the actors and actresses and people that have been mm-hmm. on the Tonight Shows and the
3: the shows that I did with Mr. Belvedere for all those years, six years, we did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of those people that I met, I, I never wanted to leave baseball. But all the people that I met outside of baseball, like the Tonight Shows and mm-hmm. Um, Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, all all those guys, all those shows, all that time. And you're around those people. Um, other guys that hosted the Tonight Show, Burt Reynolds, um, uh, any, anybody, Jay Leno. I mean, I met Jay through the Tonight Show and did, after Johnny left, you know, work with Jay. And they're, they're all really good guys. I'm, I'm telling you, um kind of guy you'd like to go out and have a drink with oh yeah no yeah hell, yeah absolutely you know I mean they they're 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 baseball fans for one thing mm-hmm. um, they they laugh at things that you say um, <laughs> it, I mean I can talk about anything I want as far as sports activities go um, uh,
4: I, I can well, when you think about it though you were such an entertainer to them. Well yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, the great entertainers of mm-hmm. all time and you were entertaining them. <laughs> I d I, I didn't I remember like eighth grade eighth grade
3: basketball, you know, when you're you're young and you you know, we're we're poor, we didn't I mean, have money. Um, my mother made me a, a supporter, I remember that. I didn't I we didn't have money to buy one. And you didn't share I mean, with your siblings or your No, I mean, or you, no you can't. Okay. Right. And then, you know, it. You, you're playing basketball, and it was she made it out of a flour sack? <laughs> and there's like little specks of flour dropping out all the time. And the guy guarding you knows exactly where you're going. And then <laughs> it's like you know, rice, right down the front trail. It yeah. Looks yeah. Like a it's trail. like trail, yeah. right down the front. It says Pillsbury's best. And <laughs> when you. When you you do that and you're around it enough,
6: it it's it's awful. You know, it's tough. Final question for both you guys. I don't know two people who've had more fun in this game, in this business that we're in, than you two. You ever think about why you, why God picked you guys to, to be able to do this? Um,
3: I think it's because. I had such bad coordination I couldn't hold a regular job. Um, so to be able to, you know, hold a a branch, a, whatever it was, a twig, and Speaking of twigs, that's French Ricky again. There you well, go, yeah. that's, that's how the show started, yeah. Okay. That's how we started. Yeah, I just,
4: no, you I, gotta I, get in line for him. I had a,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I had an uncle I had an uncle that played minor league baseball with the Tiger organization. So, you know, I I, I was kinda as a kid, you know, at baseball mm-hmm. and, you know, all the stuff that we did little league wide We didn't have little league then. We had Police Athletic League and American Legion Ball. Uh, then I went from there to Foreign Legion Ball, and uh, <laughs> I found I woke up overseas. Well, you know, I thought I was with the team Best in America. On Sri-, Sri Lanka's team. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah, okay, Sri Lanka. Okay. Yeah, we had a great, we had a great club. <laughs> it was really
4: nice. Yeah, great travel. <laughs> Can you imagine though having dinner with he and, and Jonathan Winters? <laughs> I wanted I to do know. that show so bad. If you had him, you know, Winters, you're 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 or you're my buddy room. in San Francisco, okay they ran the Hungry Eye, and uh, he went to visit him when they had him in the padded cell. He didn't know, they didn't know which one to let out. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. He said, no, no, I'm the one. <laughs> and Winters saying, saying, no, no, he just came to, he came to visit me. Yeah. Block, you know, it's me, I'm coming out.
6: <laughs> Boys, I gotta tell you, one of the great things about this show is when teammates can get together and, and relive so many moments like you guys have done tonight is what this show's been all about, and it's been a real treat to Wasn't have it you part of hey, hold Thank on a you. second
4: here now. Wasn't it you that went up against Sandy Koufax and just fouled the ball off and then you came back by me and said, your turn, big boy? Well, was, I, I, yeah, <laughs> that's right. A, I did. That's right. I remember that, see? <laughs> I remember you, coming you, up. In a... I, you, you said, it's your turn. Now, he was throwing your curveballs and you were just trying to I, let it hit your back. I, I, who did I, you I,
6: hit, I, hit I, well, by the way? Who did you hit, hit well? Hit Koufax. Koufax well. well? That kept I came you up one night at Dodgers Stadium.
3: We were down, I don't know, 3-2. We got the bases loaded. And I'm coming to hit, and as I'm walking up to the plate, I look in the Dodger dugout, and they're all sitting there in their street clothes. Uh, this ain't looking too good, you know. I, but I, I always apologize to Sandy. I hit a couple of home runs against him because I always thought I was going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. And he, Who's the guy I hit a Grand Slammer off of? Ron Herbel. Ron Herbel, He was with the Giants. And I hit a grand slammer off him, and Mike and all the rest of the guys, when I got back to the dugout, they were all laying on the floor. And when Herman Franks came out to take him out of the game, he had his suitcase packed. So Ron Herbel was not long for the big leagues
5: anymore. (laughs)
3: Yeah. That was a good one, too.
5: (laughs) The 2018 Cardinals official calendar spotlights the signature artwork of the team photographers with a special salute to your favorite Cardinals birthdays. On sale now throughout Metro St. Louis, notably the Bush Stadium Team Store, Cardinals Clubhouse Shops, and area grocers. Or call 314-345-9000. Plus, the fifth caller right now at 314-531-1120 will win one Cardinals calendar. We're back with Willie McGee next on Cardinals countdown to opening day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals radio network. Cardinals five, six and 10 game ticket packs on sale now and feature the top promotions of 2018. Choose from the opening day pack, Cubs pack, bobblehead pack, t-shirt pack, and more packs start at just $48. Get yours now at cardinals.com slash packs. Well, we are back having fun on a holiday edition of the program. Claves, you mentioned Willie McGee, always great to see him at the ballpark. We'll be seeing a lot more of him as he joins manager Mike Matheny's coaching staff, Willie, with the guys this past summer, for you, who was a
6: person that you learned from it when you were in the dugout?
8: Oh man, with the Cardinals, everybody. I mean, everybody was good. You know, off the field, you know, I had Ozzy, I had George. I stayed, you know, stayed next door to George a couple years. What a
6: great person! Oh man, what an I, incredible. I learned, I learned yeah. so
8: much from this guy as far as the mental how to how to handle the ups and downs of the games. You was know. he
6: one of the funniest people you were around? Oh, too? he's
8: one of the funniest guys. You you, would, you never <laughs> the the best story is the one <laughs> where we won the World Series. And uh, <laughs> he said he had his car parked under the stadium, and there's a door out in right field. And he said, Willie, by the time you guys got through celebrating, I was at home. <laughs> I was he, at home in California. He drove home that drove, night. That's yeah. what he said he drove his, home that night. In his uniform by and the way. That's what they said. Yeah. And but I he, look, I try to look and I don't I don't recall seeing him nowhere around. No, he know? was not a part of the celebration so at all. That was kinda that was kinda strange, but I I believe that's I <laughs> I'm still looking for him on photos and
6: stuff. How about the time in Cincinnati when when he broke up Mario Soto's no hitter?
8: Well we sitting there in the dugout. And uh, Soto was pitching, you know, he's out there, got the change working. He could throw the ball by you. So you can't look for, you know, either pitch. You got to look for set on the fastball and react to the other pitch. So George, George uh, this is his last at bat, and this is the ninth inning, I believe. Yeah. And uh, Soto made a mistake, threw a ball up close to George's head. George flew back. His helmet flew off, and he's still chewing the gum. Never, Never broke his rhythm. Picked his helmet up slow, dusted it off, put it back on his head. The next pitch, Soto threw kind of a medium-high fastball. George hit it off the second deck. So George comes in the dugout, and he said, all the man had to do was throw the ball over the plate because it was two strikes on him, I believe. And out of gate, a man is no hitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, so, you know, George, you know, things like that are just amazing. That sticks with you, you know, because he, uh, wow.
6: Yeah, I remember he was telling me, he said, I was going to let him have it till he made me mad. Yeah,
8: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, you can see it coming. Oh, what a fun guy.
6: You, you, you've you had so many great teammates. Uh,
8: but I want to talk to you about some other people in your life. Yeah, you see so much stuff around here, man. And, I mean, guys like Whitey, you know, uh, one of the things i seen Whitey do one year is a guy, we were coming, we, we were, uh, you know, we were in spring training, and uh, everybody had to be on the field at a certain time. And, I mean, Whitey doesn't play. You know, he ain't going to say much. But mm-hmm. the next thing you know, boom, such and such is gone. And I've seen it on two or three occasions, and it's like, whoa, okay. I don't care who you three are. Three
6: rules, be on time play I don't hard care who yeah. you
8: are yeah he ain't going to do much talking yeah. but the next thing you know boom you you're gone and uh it, just <laughs> a so it's kind of just you know that's something that that is sometimes it's better you know to not say something than to say something and for instance here's a funny story about Vince I me mean, you know Vince came up Vince came up right, and so he's and I give him a pitch. I give him a pitch. I say, Vince, don't steal third when I got two strikes on me. That's all I ask, and I'll do what you need me to do. So the next thing I know, the next night, Vince out there is two strikes on me. <laughs> he takes off, so the pitcher throws a curveball, and I my eyes attract to the streak. That's you know, because he takes off, so it, I get distracted, and then I look at the try to pick up the ball again. Strike three. <laughs> so, I pissed off, man. I'm mad. <laughs> next, I didn't say nothing. So the next night, same thing. And I'm, I can't believe this because I just we just talked, and the same thing happened. <clears throat> so I said, okay, all right. I'm gonna mess with his pockets now. <laughs> so so the next night, the first fastball I see when he gets on, I'm swinging. Wow. The next one, wow. For two days, so finally here he comes. Okay, well, he came, had, but he had to break <laughs> yeah, the ice. Here. I ain't got, to, I ain't got to go to him <laughs> and say nothing. He's got to come to me now. I say, man. So he came to me. He say, what's going on? I say, well, man, look, I told you, you know, I asked you, don't steal third with two strikes, and you did it. I looked you right in the eye, and you still did it. So, oh, okay, man, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, cause yeah, from that point on, we had no problem.
6: <laughs> what about Bob Force?
8: I don't – it's just another great competitor, man. It's another great competitor, another great team, awesome teammate. Um, again, I learned so much from Bobby, too, just watching his preparation, watch how he carried himself, uh, watching how he competed. I mean, one of the, he's he's probably, besides Joaquin, probably one of the best competitors that I've been around.
6: You remember that night he, he cooled off Jeffrey Jeffrey. Leonard. Oh,
8: do I? do I? Yes, do I. <laughs> I mean, you could see it coming.
6: You know, I don't know if I've ever seen one pitch turn a series around, around. like
8: that. Good point. Because Good
6: Jeffrey Leonard was hitting everything and everybody, and Bob Fors here. Let me give you something else to think about. Think about and it, I thought it turned the whole series around.
8: Yeah, they were awful. They were awful cocky. The Giants that year. I, I recall when we were here playing them. You know, when somebody said that. Uh, what is it? Uh, I forgot what they said, but they belittled us. You know, yeah. they belittled us. With, with Call it a cow town. Cow town. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a cow town. Well, this is our town. We're here. I'm here now. I work here. I'm, I'm here for seven months out of the year. You know, that's an insult to us. You know, and so you could just see they're getting a little little beside theyself. You know, because we were small. You know, we weren't the big, big guys. Big early so, guys. So they took us lightly, you know. And i never forget sitting by my locker, you know, Sitting by my locker, you know, uh, almost praying. You know, I'm gonna say almost praying, but asking. Well, it's
6: not that it's okay to pray, and okay, I know you do that. Right, eh, okay. never wrong with that? Yeah,
8: not enough, but I do it. But, <laughs> but I'm like, gee, God, if you don't, if you ever let us win a series, let us win this one, because I thought that they needed humbling. I really did, and That's, it happened.
6: You know what? The only time I hear guys <laughs> like that praying baseballs with it a little league. Please, God, don't let them hit it to me. <laughs>
8: You've been on team with the guy like that before? Might have been the guy a couple times. (laughs) You go back then. Might have been the guy a couple times back then.
5: The Cardinals Care Winter Warm-Up will be on Saturday, January 13th through Monday, January 15th. See Willie McGee and more. Purchase winter warm-up admission tickets and autograph tickets at cardinals.com slash W-W-U. John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer, with us next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network.
6: We continue with Cardinals Countdown to opening day here on the Cardinals Radio Network, along with Chris Raby. I'm Mike Claiborne. How about another chat with John Smoltz? When you first broke in, and obviously you were surrounded by a lot of talent, but who took care of you? You mentioned Leo showed you how to pitch, but what about the veterans? Who was a guy that you kind of looked to?
2: Well, we had guys like Charlie Liebrandt, Rick Mailer. Uh, we weren't very good early, but then they brought in Charlie when we started developing. develop and win. Charlie was not anywhere close to a pitcher like me. He was a mm-hmm. left-hander that had survived the game and knew how to pitch. But I could pick his brain and he could teach me different things. And then you learn as you go because you take 100-loss season three years in a row. You go back in the offseason and you go, what do I need? I'm a guy that always assesses, what do I need to do better? I take pride in that. Even if maybe I didn't accept success as much as early on as I should have, but when I, when I didn't do something right, I wanted to figure out how to do it better. And I sought the information, asked questions, and just put my mind to work. Whereas today, I don't know many young pitchers who ask questions and go backwards and figure out who and how and why you did what you did. Because today, there's so much information, and they have it right at their fingertips that I, they probably feel like they don't need to ask you but, know, the guy before them. You
6: know, but th- I agree there's a lot of information but just because there's information, I'm not sure if everybody can disseminate it and
2: apply it to what their specific concern might yeah, be. Yeah, I totally agree. I think today I would have been, I would not have been the pitcher I was in my generation. It would, have, it would have paralyzed me. All this information would have caused so much. In my computer, is pretty simple. <laughs> I want to be in the big game, the big moment, and I didn't pressure didn't didn't scare me. But the more information that I had to retain, or the more information I thought I needed to know, it would have caused me to not be as naturally gifted and 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 utilize my strengths as well. Some people can do that. Some people are very analytical, and it works for them. My processor would have had a lot of trash in the uh, trash can. I think there's value in it, and then, as you said, there's there's a point of no return where you go so much that you get paralyzed by the information. Okay,
6: you, you're you with a very good Braves organization. It's you and Avery and Glavin, and along comes Maddox later, and you guys had a really good staff. Then all of a sudden you have a flat tire. You you have the Tommy John, you have to basically get out of line and start your whole career over again. How much of a challenge was that for you? Because Tommy John at that time was something we heard about, we heard, we knew about. But as far as the recovery was concerned, there weren't a lot of guys that were yeah. coming back from that.
2: Well, honestly, I I was retiring. Um, I was thirty four years old. I pushed and pitched with a torn ligament for about three years, and I figured once it tore, I was done. Mm-hmm. Who's going to wait for a thirty five year old pitcher? Luckily, my doctor I feel like had an insight in having Tommy John call me personally, and he called me saying, "John, don't give up." I had it when I was 34 years old. Obviously, it's because it's his success. He pitched 11 more years after that, a much different pitcher. But he said, "Don't the, the, go through the process." I was so glad to hear from that. That helped change my mind. But I was in a I was in a rough point where I was like, you know what, this could be it. I had massed so many playoff innings. So many innings that really took its toll. It was more playoff innings than anything else. And fortunately, uh, that's a good thing to have, by the way. It's a great thing to have. And fortunately, I was able to to grind it out. Didn't work out well when I came back as a starter. And with my own idea, I decided to go to the minors to help the, the team in the bullpen when Bobby didn't want that to happen. And my own idea became my undoing because the success I had that last month turned into this is the only spot we have for you uh, for the next three years with the Braves, which was a whole other chapter that was difficult. But I accepted the challenge. And, and you accepted it extremely
6: well, And which leads me to this. There's you, there's Dennis Eckersley. There are all a lot of guys coming to the big leagues as starters at one point, but seldom do you see guys
2: make that change to go to the closer. Why do you think that is? Well, we've made a mistake in Brandon play players way too early. Mm-hmm. We've got the Jabba Chamberlain situation with New York. I think I was a false example of what – how many guys have 2,400 innings before they go to the pen? You know, And yeah. yet they're thinking 30 innings is good enough. If you don't cut it, 50 innings, 70 innings. I think there's a big mistake in our game. Uh, the young kid, Sanchez in Toronto, they're lucky to still have him because they could have played with his mind. He was a closer. He was a starter. Then he went back to the pen. You can't shuffle these young kids into spots. Adam Wainwright is the only exception that I can think of where he did not have a basis of innings before he had the emergency closing role, success, the seventh game, all the pit, you know, the curveball, and then right into starting. And I was like, oh, my gosh, please, no, no, this is not a good idea. And it worked out. Sometimes the in the fortitude inside, the ability for a player can can leapfrog an, uh, uh, the unknown of not having 200 innings before this is what I tell people all the time. I was throwing 200 innings basically every year. I went into the pen and four years later decided to come back to starting, and they were all worried there's no way I could pitch 200 innings. And I said, turn over my baseball card. I did this in my sleep. This is something I trained for. It's easy to do if your mindset's right, your train's right, you train right, and your mechanics are right. Today we think it's a super, it's superhuman to pitch 200 innings. We've dumbed it down to a point where financially it makes sense to the clubs, long-term, no sense. Long-term player uh, availability for the club, no chance. And I think we're in a short-term quick fix that's only going to hurt the game long-term if people don't go back and go, wait a minute, I'm investing $100 million and this in is a all guy, I get? yeah. and he can't go 240 mm-hmm. innings? I'll be darned if that's not going to happen under my watch. But people are okay with it. So, again, I don't think it's the player... That is to blame. It's the system of which they're getting rewarded. Same thing with hitters. If you strike out two hundred times and you're getting paid, why would you change? So I think there's some flaws in innately in the game that have to change and it's gonna take a bold organization to go, We're not gonna we're not gonna stay in this river, in this flow. We're going to deviate and we're gonna make ourselves better by doing it. Make your plans to head south this winter for
5: sunny skies, warm beaches, and Cardinals baseball packages available to fit everyone's schedule and budget. Make your reservations at one 800 892 7687 or Cardinals.com slash vacations. Hour one in the books. Hour two coming up next. Tony LaRusso, Walt Jockety, Mark McGuire, Tim McCarver. All of that in the next hour, right here on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network.
2: A swing and a high fly ball. Deep right field. It's a slam. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day
4: Show, presented by Amron. How about the old Uncle Charlie here? The pitch. A swing and miss. Threw the fastball right by him, and he strikes him out for the third time. And that's eight Ks for the Cardinal Herman. Now, Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network.
5: Second hour of our holiday edition of the program. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy new year to everyone from us here at the Cardinals Radio Network. With Mike Claiborne, I'm Chris Raby. Claves, a lot of great conversations in the first hour. A lot more coming up in the second hour. What's it like? to have Tony La Russa and Walt Jockety in the same room together talking baseball.
6: Incredible. When you think about when those two came together here in St. Louis and brought us so much success on the field, those guys were a great combination. And as they look back, they both moved on from St. Louis, but as they look back, they know that their fingerprints are well on the Cardinal organization and its in its past with regard to success.
5: Fittingly, kicking off the second hour of our program, the aforementioned Tony La Russa and Walt Jockety.
4: You hired Tony La Russa, is that correct? I did. Why? Good question.
9: <laughs> well, we've been we've been together for the last four days, so we've been going oh, okay. back and forth. Oh, you think no. back though? No, I'll tell you why. Because um, you know he, he, we've spent time together. We've known each other a long time. When he played in, in Iowa, I was with working there as a young lad trying to learn the game. Then in Oakland, we were together. I knew it. Tony stood for. I knew what what, what he brought to the game. That the you know the you know the dedication, the discipline. Uh, you know, plus he had a pretty good pitching coach. He took wherever he went, and that was always a big help. But I mean, Tony. Tony was a leader, and and he he knew how to uh, get the most out of players. Uh, you know, the first few years here, we had some issues that we worked through, and finally we put together a team here that that we felt. Was going to be a team that Tony could manage and and take on to uh, be very successful, and that's exactly what happened.
4: So, as a general manager, how many uh, how many managers have you hired? Have you uh, over the years? Uh, only a couple. And he was yes. he was well, no, not at the big league level. You, you. Oh,
9: well, uh, with a lot of minor league managers, uh-huh. you know, but uh, that's important,
4: though.
9: Oh, without a doubt, because you know you've got to have somebody that number one, you that will be a leader that will that will. You know, handle in the major leagues. It's a lot different because you have to be able to handle the media. You have to, Mm -hmm. you know, he's got to he's got to really manage his team and his clubhouse, his players, and and deal with them. But he's also got to manage up. He's got to manage up to, you know, the the front office and the ownership, and be able to handle that. Be able to deal with the media, and and everything else that surrounds the game. It's it's, you know, it looks easy. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I used to sit up there and second-guess him
0: all the time. But, you
4: know. <laughs> well, I did, too, and I uh, used to go know, to dinner but, with him. You know, I'd yeah. say, you know, you can't do that. Oh, yeah. Well, but trust me, you it's gonna, not, Well, it's not you that. know, and I used to say on the air right here, that, and, and, and I'd say, how are you going to argue with a guy that's had this kind of success, right, okay? Right. It's his philosophy, yeah. and it's worked for him.
9: So one thing I always knew with Tony and his staff with, I knew that they they knew what they had to do to get things you know, to write the ship, to to make sure we got things done the right way, and and it, you just you know when you hire good people, you stand back and let them do their jobs. And sometimes people try to meddle too much. I think Tony probably thought I tried meddle once in a while, but you know we, we all did it in fun. But it was you, when you have good people, and you know we we talk things through, and we we you know we didn't always agree on things, but um, you know we always worked it out.
4: Tony, why did you come here? <clears throat> Why did you take the job when he offered it to you?
1: Uh, Two really good reasons. Uh, The first immediate one was, you know, I had spent 10 wonderful years with the A's, and Mr. Haas died, and it was time to go. Uh, I thought I was going to stay in the American League at first because you had American League expertise. But Sparky had always told me, Sparky uh, was a real mentor. We talked a lot, and he knew I loved the game. And he said, look, before you retire, you've got to manage the National League because there's a lot of parts of the game, a lot of the nuances, little things that are lost in the American League. American League is a very good league, very tough league, but it's a different league, different brand of baseball here, and you'll enjoy it. The second reason is that uh, it also coincided with Mr. Haas' death. We had a party to celebrate him at the end of the season, and uh, they put Dave Duncan and our wives at the same table with Walt and Sue. And I thought I was sitting next to Walt. Now I know Walt's sitting next to uh, to Dunk. And all day long they're talking, they're talking, talking, talking. Later on, Dunk says, "We gotta go to St. Louis because Walt's talking me about all those great pitches like Morris and Bendis." <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much, once Dunk said we're too. going, we're going.
9: <laughs> but you know, the other the other thing about bringing Tony and Dunk and Dave McKay and the whole group in was, you know, it was important, and I, I learned that right away. It was an important and imperative to change the culture here, to change how we did things because. You know, we hadn't won in a long time. And then we're going, this is, we're talking about 96. So, you know, the years preceding that weren't, weren't very good for, for quite a while. So it was important to try and change. And I knew that this was the right leadership group to bring in and, and uh, try to turn things around.
5: Cardinals 5, 6, and 10 game ticket packs on sale now and feature the top promotions of 2018. Choose from the opening day pack, Cubs pack, bobblehead pack, t shirt pack, and more. Packs start at just $48. Get yours now at cardinals.com slash packs mark mcguire cardinals hall of famer next right here on the st louis cardinals radio network we're rolling here on countdown opening day here
6: on the cardinals radio network chris raby mike claiborne one of the fun interviews of the year was mark mcguire 16 years in the big leagues 583 home runs a rookie of the year two-time world champion including being a coach and also uh (laughs) he did a lot of fun things in st louis and really in my opinion helped revive baseball He's now Cardinals Hall of Famer. He's Mark McGuire. It is great to see you, sir. Thank you, Mike. Congratulations.
0: I really appreciate it. (laughs) This is awesome.
6: I mean, think about this. I mean, the Hall of Fame situation, this has been something that's just come about in the last few years, and you go in pretty early. I mean, what does that say about the impact that you had and how much people thought of you here in St. Louis?
0: Well, obviously a big impact. Um, I am so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. uh, my family's thrilled. I mean, the the four and a half years that I spent here, uh, to go in the Hall of Fame for only playing really four and a half years here, it's awesome. Um, I do believe that we, myself, and this city brought the game back in 98. Um, a lot of people had such a bad taste of the game of baseball. Um, it was pretty, pretty damn cool. Yeah. Very, very stressful. But I really say it's we because – of the unbelievable energy um, and the way they embraced me and the way they pushed me um, every time uh, I got in the box. It was awesome. I
6: want to go back to to your days in Oakland where you were rookie of the year and hit 49 home runs. Life was good. And then uh, all of a sudden things started to happen. Your manager moves on. A few players move (laughs) on. And you look around and you don't know any of these guys you're playing with. Right. And then all of a sudden, of all people, Mark McGuire's name is in trade talks. Well, somebody you never thought was going anywhere. Hey, what was that like for you? And then when it was St. Louis, I mean, you've never been to St.
0: Louis before. Well, that's a, that's sort of a funny story because um, it's I, you know I was a ten-five player, you know, mm-hmm. ten years in the big leagues and five with uh, consecutive years with one team. So I had I had the rights to to nix a deal if I wanted it. Uh, Oakland, we've been going through some losing seasons. <clears throat> didn't really know what was in the Meyer leagues. Didn't know they had a Hudson Boulder and, <laughs> and, uh, all these other Gazito and all these other guys coming in the wings. Um, thought it'd be great for me to move on. Uh, thought I was going to get traded to the angels. I, uh, I really, really wanted to go down and play, uh, in Orange County. That's where your backyard, I live. That's where yeah. I live. Yeah. Um, I really did. Um, it didn't, obviously didn't work out. Um, sort of about a week prior to the trade deadline <clears throat> we are on a long road trip on the east coast I was getting worn out I was in a horrible slump come back um, come back from the, the road trip and the next day I'm driving across the bay bridge on the 31st so I get a phone call from my attorney Bob Cohen and said that uh, there's a trade in line and do you accept it? And I said, yes, I do. And it happened to be with the St. Louis Cardinals. And really the reason is, is because of two people, Tony La Russa mm-hmm. and Walt Jockety. Yeah, <clears throat> That's really the only reason um, that I accepted it because obviously Tony's like my second father. Walt was the assistant GM that signed me in 84 out of USC um, next to Sandy Alderson in Oakland. Um, coaching staff, Dave, Dave Duncan, and... Um, Dave McKay were here, trainer Barry Weinberg was here, um, and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. But I want—I knew I needed. I knew I. But well, you knew you were going to put the band back together yeah, for the most well, part. I knew I needed to. to uh, uh, I need. I needed just a new place to go. Uh-huh. Just to, uh, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Just something different. Um. Oh. So go ahead. Okay. Right.
6: So you get traded. You say, "Okay now we're at St. Louis. What time zone is that in? Uh, what was it like when you first stepped on the field and the reception you got because obviously, as you know now, Cardinal fans know a lot about baseball and they know about a lot about good players on other teams. What was that like for you? uh, it's
0: probably to this day, um, one of the, if not one of the most meaningful times of my life as a as a baseball player um well, to go back to the story, so I was in a horrible slump. Then I fly from San Francisco to Philadelphia. I land at 530. I'm thinking I'm not going to play. Tony's not going to play me. The game's at 705. I get there around 630. I'm in the lineup. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, does he know that I'm really, really bad right now? <laughs> um, and I proceeded to go. I don't know, two for 28 on that road trip until he got back to St. Louis. So that night of August 8th, my first time here in Bush Stadium, standing ovation. For a two for 28 guy. Well, and then you add on the uh, probably two for 30 right before, before that. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, this doesn't happen. I mean, to think about, like, when you when you're in a slump and you think that you're the only one in one, there's no way out. You're really, really bad, and then all of a sudden you get traded and you're in you're, the slump continues and then you go to a new ballpark new with all these fans, new league, and you're like, what are people are gonna say? What and they're saying, well, what are they trading for Maguire? What they give up these prospects for Maguire for <laughs> Well they showed me. For it you, was unbelievable. For you to be
6: uh, absorb to absorb that, that moment uh, obviously, it had a lot to do with you not testing free agency because you were a guy that could have wrote your ticket anywhere, but you were comfortable, obviously, with the environment, ownership. You mentioned Tony and Walt and the people around you. How, how much of a of a thought process did you have as far as free agency, or was this it for you and just say, "Let's well, just do I, this"? To tell
0: you the truth, um, I really thought I was going to be a rental. I, I oh, went, I went, I, I came here with an open mind, but sort of leaning towards being a rental. Um, let's let's feel it out. But that first at bat won me over. Um, so I, I wish and I hope that, and I tell players today, that if you ever get an opportunity to put a Cardinal uniform on, go for it. Because it is going to be the most meaningful time of your playing career.
6: Let's talk about 98 um, You finished like you knew what you wanted to do in 97, at the end of 97. And here comes 98. And then everything, everybody says, you know, this guy might be able to break Maris's record. I don't know if you put a lot of thought into it, but I thought you handled it in a manner where you said, let's not even get into it until I get to 50. Right. But what was it like for you? And also your teammates, because you were, no matter where you went, whether it was the men's room at a bus station or <laughs> Shea Stadium, somebody was going to talk
0: to you about it yeah. and,
6: and also ask you about it.
0: Yeah. Well, so a lot of these things I probably really haven't talked about. So, but they're all in my mind. So maybe someday if I ever write a book, but here we'll talk about it. Here Sign that first copy time. for me. I want <laughs> the first copy, please. Um, so. They've talked about me breaking this record since 87, when I had 33 home runs at the break. So I've always been tabbed to do it. Why, I have no idea. They just, some of they've picked me. Um, then I had my struggles. Then I come into 98, and everybody thought 98 was going to be the year because of the year of the expansion. And uh, they said, okay, the expansion, the game, you know, is going to have a, a lot more pitchers that, you know, have no have business no, here. no business being in the game, blah, 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 okay? Remember being on the cover of Sports Illustrated <clears throat> for the baseball issue. Um, going to spring training, and that's all everybody talked about, okay? So I took it in stride, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. I have, I have no problem talking about it, but really, let's not talk about it until you get to 50. I mean, if you look at the math, it's you're, you have to average 10 or more home runs each month, to even think about doing it. Well, March thirty first, first home run, first game, grand slam. January, I mean, January, September twenty seventh, number seventy, unbelievable. I mean, um, to this day, I truly believe that there hasn't been an athlete that has been singled out to to break a individual record in any sport. Um, to this day and to deal with what I had to deal with. But I, I have not seen it in my lifetime and I don't know if we'll ever will see it again, but it was definitely unbelievable. It was definitely stressful. Uh, did you have a chance to enjoy it and really in, inhale what was going on? Because
6: we used to watch you every day and, and you know, you know, when a I did, lot of
0: people <laughs> wanted to see you do it, but man, we just <laughs> knew it was
6: like the batan death march on certain well, days.
0: You know, it's, it was all this, you know. When we started doing these press conferences, you know, before we went to the city, and and then, you know, I, I I tried to deflect as much as I could from my teammates, and you know, it didn't matter if we won or lost. If if I didn't it hit a home run, it hit a home run, they always wanted to come talk to me, and and I thought that was that wasn't fair to my teammates because. There was a lot of my teammates were having really good years at mm-hmm. the time, and they weren't getting the accolades that they should be, and I and sometimes I felt embarrassed about that. Um, but I understood it. You know, I think some of the media thought I was ornery, um, But then again, um, when you had to talk about the same things day in and day out for six straight months, seven straight months in spring training, I mean, there's days you're not going to feel good about talking about it. Um, but I'll tell you what, though, when I got between the lines, that was my sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So that was my, that was my peace. As you want to say, nobody could get to me. Um, I knew, I knew what I wanted to do that day. Um, I always took naps before the game. Uh, I visualized, I visualized the pitcher. I visualized how the ball was going to move, um, I did everything I could do to prepare myself for that game, and then when I got out there, it was just pure. I was in I was in my own world, and I was inside my own mind. But three or four times inside it, I mean, it's it's. I don't know if any, there might be a few people that understand what I'm talking about right now. But there's there's places in your mind that you can get to, if you're if you're that tough mentally. Uh, but I, you know, I can only imagine what Roger went through being in New York and along with the babe, and and it's just like, you know, I got an opportunity to do it here in St. Louis, and I just can't thank the fans enough for, I mean, it's just like the feeling that you get when you put this uniform on is incredible, Um, and it is. It's a -a one-of-a-kind uniform. And, and and I know, you know every player cherishes it when they put it on here in, in, in St. Louis.
5: Make your plans to head south this winter for sunny skies, warm beaches, and Cardinals baseball. Packages available to fit everyone's schedule and budget. Make your reservations at 1-800-892-7687 or com slash vacations. Tim McCarver next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back. It's a holiday edition of the program. Chris Rabie, Mike Claiborne with you. And Claib's a chance now to visit with Tim McCarver. Always great to have him. Always great to hear him now on the television broadcast with our buddy Dan McLaughlin. It's been great to have Tim around the ballpark so much and around the club so much over the last few years.
6: What a breath of fresh air he is, Chris, at this stage of his career. Uh, Really knows the game and likes teaching and talking the game. But one thing about Tim, he's more than just a baseball guy. You can roll out a subject, and he's going to know a little bit about it where you can carry him around to any party you go to. Just a fascinating person that we had a chance to sit down and visit with. You played on some of the great teams in the history of this organization, that be at the St. Louis Cardinals. And it just seemed like from the stories I've heard and the pictures I've seen, the you guys had more fun than maybe the law should allow. Uh, you didn't have ESPN. You didn't have a lot of things to do. And you guys basically traveled in packs. How much fun was that for you, especially as you look back on your career? Uh, we talk about the black player. But, man, you know, does it make a difference when you're winning, what color anybody is at that point? No. Because you were having so much fun. No. I think one of the neat things about Haberstrom's book was, you know, you guys were a team that, that had a lot of really good black players on it. So how much fun was that for you? And do you think people in the day's game have as much fun? Had, they have
10: more money. But I don't know if they have as much fun. The game has changed, unfortunately, from that standpoint. Uh, I say unfortunately because, you know, I guess they have fun. It's just a different type of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the players are bigger, stronger. Uh, but nobody, and, 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 and I'm, I'm trying to be as, as uh, objective as I can when I say this, nobody were, uh, were into each other like we were mm-hmm. we were into we really admired each other as teammates uh i mean to a man we admired the uh, uh the wisdom of george crow and bill white uh we admired the baseball knowledge of dick groat who taught me more about base running than anybody i've ever talked to kenny boyer referred to as the captain even when he retired he was still the captain he was like Wee reese mm. And Jackie Robinson's day with the Brooklyn Dodgers, always referred to as the captain. Um, uh, and, of course, Bob Gibson. He he was a marvel then, uh, is a marvel today, the way he's led his life, um, the ways uh, he looks like he's 60 years old and he's 81 years old. It's hard to believe. It is. In three months, he'll be 82 years old. I know he, he'll he listen to this broadcast <laughs> And I'll get a phone call. I'll, I'll guarantee you, you don't have to stress <laughs> things like that. Uh, but it, we were into each other. We admired each other, each other's play. We had 25 managers on that club. We had actually 26. And Red was our lead manager. We, we He would come to the mound, and you've heard these stories, but in double play situations, infield in, because of uh, the way we were trained by George Kissel – Eddie Stanky, we knew how to play the game. We knew how to run the bases. We knew what to do in situations where if uh, runners are on at first and third and it's a tie ball game in the seventh inning and there's speed at the plate, you may have not have a chance for a double play. So play the infield about halfway, not all the way in, but not double play depth mm-hmm. either. We knew stuff like that. And, and when we had meetings on the mound, Red would come out and he'd say, what do you guys want to do? And we'd tell him. And we did it. And, of course, it, often it didn't work out. But, um, but more often than not, it did work out. And I, I've said, I think everybody, Mike, uh, who played during that period, um, thought that that period was the best time to play ball. That huh, the pitching, I I think the was. pitching was superb in the '60s. That decade of excellence uh, with Perry and uh, Gaylord Perry, Juan Marichal, um, uh, Billy Pierce, and guys, and, and of course Bob Gibson and Steve Carlton getting a start in, in '66. Uh, uh, Drysdale and Koufax. I mean, Koufax, one of, the, but he and Gibson, you got to put them in the top five ever. I think no doubt. No, I, I mean, I, as far yeah. as intimidation, Koufax with his stuff, Bob with everything that he presented uh, against the team. But uh, we were we were fans of each other. Uh, Who was the guy?
6: Because <clears throat> that team had skill it had yeah, a lot of talent had
10: speed it had, had a lot of speed had, had
6: speed good base it, runners had
10: very knowledgeable base runners yeah. we we always knew when to take the extra base for the most part i mean we made mistakes but they were minimal who kept things in perspective if not keeping it loose because Cepeda kept it loose believe me Cepeda kept it loose uh, and you know he was traded in 1966 and he was <coughs> he was offended uh, and in those days, you were more offended because it surprised you. Mm-hmm. It surprised everybody. It was, it was Orlando Cepeda for Ray Sadecki, And we all picked up on that, and we were very sensitive to understand. I mean, these come to a totally different environment, the Midwest in St. Louis, from San Francisco, no less, it, uh, a, a team that had its origins in, in New York City. Uh, I mean, a guy who was so good, he was a Rookie of the Year. He was our MVP in 1967. And uh, we had many talks together. And I told him, Orlando, you know, it's—it's the Giants are going to forget you very quickly. That's the callous part of this game. We've all got to be, you know, it, it hasn't happened to me yet, but it will. Happens to and, everybody, and, and, yeah. and even Gibson would say, you know, it'll happen to me. And when well, you might be, might be the one guy, <laughs> you, you, you and Musial, and there are a couple guys that we're not going to put on that list. But, uh, but uh, sure enough, I think that helped him. And the fact that we uh, received him with such warmth, I think, made a big difference in what kind of player he was. It's hard to prove, but he was he, he was a runaway MVP, the first ever. Uh, uh, runaway MVP in 67.
6: I remember the story or the visit you had with him on a broadcast a couple of years ago. he oh, yes. made light of the fact that you took him to his first concert. What, Sergio Mendez in never Brazil heard, uh, Yeah, good for
10: you. Good for you. You remembered that. Yeah, and, I mean, he had never heard everything everything in Orlando's life is, is wrapped around music. If you call his if you call him on the phone in California, and I, I get out to California occasionally, and spend some time with him, have dinner together once or twice a year, uh, but everything is centered around music. I mean, you've got to you've got to go through a minute of his music to get to the answering machine to tell him who called. <laughs> Believe me, you do. And I said, wait a minute. You've never heard of Sergio Mendes in Brazil '66? And matter of fact, Sergio Mendez is still around. Right. They they're they're like Brazil two
11: thousand seventeen <laughs> or twenty or
10: whatever. This guy this guy's age. He's like a timex, man. He just yeah. keeps on ticking. Yeah, but but uh, Orlando hadn't and also uh uh another guy and uh, the name escapes me now. He sang the national anthem before the game Jose, Feliciano. Jose Feliciano, right. He had never heard of Jose Feliciano, and to this day, he and Jose Feliciano are very close friends.
6: That's amazing. It's amazing how this game brings people together. It is. More More than any other game. Yeah, I agree. There's no doubt. I think. One of the great things that I've always admired about Tim McCarver, you have that recall (laughs) where you can roll names out that – if, if somebody's listening to this. Even though now, I just
10: forgot. Uh, you, well, but, no, but you, but you yeah, know what?
6: They will give you a mulligan on that one. <laughs> but just like the MacArthur, the MacArthur guy who uh, you've known since the battle. Exactly. Uh, I've always admired <clears> that because there are a handful of people. I try and do it about certain things that interest me, but I roll those names off and people look at you like, why would you remember that guy's name? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how you do it, which is why I say you're the eclectic man because you have other things That you enjoy. You've written books. uh, And I wonder why don't you write more? Because uh, you have so much to offer, not just to the game.
10: I've never been asked that. um, But I've written five books. um, And I've enjoyed I had some help in doing Mm -hmm. that, you know, with the punctuation and stuff like that. Oh, you
6: you don't have the run on sentence for 280 pages? No, I can't even
10: type. Are you kidding me? Um, uh, But. I enjoyed life, and part of that, and this is this is going to sound like a schmalseed party line, but part of that I think was the passion of the cardinals and what they had in the sixties we not only we not only won penance in sixty seven and sixty eight we ran away with penance and very few teams were running away from things. Follow the Cardinals in style this coming
5: season with a subscription to Cardinals Magazine. Sign up today and receive two free tickets, all for just $35. Order now at 314-345-9000 or cardinals.com slash magazine. We'll talk winter warm-up with Michael Hall from Cardinals Care next, right here on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Winter warm-up coming up. We're inside a month, January 13th, 14th, and 15th at the Hyatt Regency, St. Louis at the Arch. And joining us is Michael Hall, the Vice President of Community Relations and the Executive Director of Cardinals Care. Michael, happy holidays. How are you, man?
11: I'm doing well, Chris. Thank you.
5: You know, we are so excited. Uh, Again, winter warm-up. It sneaks up on us every year. Maybe not you guys because... I know you're working on it all year, but uh, what's this last month like as tickets go on sale, admission tickets, autograph tickets, and we get closer and closer to uh, the event that benefits Cardinals Care?
11: It's uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun and, and trying to plan everything. And um, it can get a little hectic, but uh, that's the nature of the business. We we enjoy it. And just being able to communicate with everybody within the organization and, and trying to put on a great event for the fans, It's it's always fun to do.
5: So tickets on sale now, the admission tickets uh, online or the Bush Stadium box office. You can go to com slash WWU. If there are folks out there that are not familiar with the event and all the money it raises for Cardinals care, give us a little bit of background, Michael, and, and how folks can get involved and enjoy a great weekend and help raise some great money.
11: Sure. Yeah, this the Winter Warmup is is our fan fest. It's a version of a fan fest, a lot of teams have fan fest, but uh, ours is a little different than than others. We we use it as a our major fundraiser, our largest fundraiser for the foundation, Cardinal's Care, and the entire weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday is dedicated to that. And we ask all of our players to come in for the event. Uh, we include some of our Hall of Famers. We include a lot of our alums. We include some of our minor league players, and try to uh, bring a, a, a nice variety for fans to see. And some of the players will get a chance to hear from the main stage. As we may get a chance to do some question and answer with them, um, they all will will sign autographs. And, and some fans have purchased autograph tickets for that opportunity. Um, so it's it's a it's a big event. It's a family event. Uh, there's a dedicated kids room where there's a lot of activity down there for kids and a lot of our promotional items that we give away are Cardinal themed items for kids if they go down in the room and participate and hear some of the presentations that we have specifically for them down there as well. Uh, we have a vendor area where there's a lot of sports memorabilia not just baseball but a lot of sports memorabilia that uh, fans seem to enjoy and like to walk around and, and interact with all of those uh, the folks down there and um, our breakout rooms are also pretty popular where we try to include things in and around the ballpark that fans may not have exposure to. For instance, having the opportunity to ask questions to Team Fredbird or have an opportunity to spend some time with Maybe the team photographers and ask kind of, you know, different questions that fans may be interested in that, that regard. We, uh, uh Dan Farrell always does a, a nice presentation for us and talks about some of our marketing efforts and our, our ticket sales and different opportunities uh, as it pertains to, to tickets and, and marketing throughout the ballpark. So we, we try to incorporate uh, a lot of different things for fans as, as part of our Version of a fan fest that that culminates as a, a fundraiser for our foundation.
5: And how about all the work that you guys are able to do? It's been now 20 years, believe it or not, more than 12 million dollars in grants to nonprofit youth organizations. You guys continue to build ball fields, 23 of them. It just keeps getting bigger and better for Cardinals Care, doesn't it, Michael?
11: Well, we try, and um, it's the fans that that help us. The fans, and of course, as I just mentioned, all of our players players, current and former that, you know, the fans want to see, they want to try to interact with, and uh, we've been very fortunate that our, our players understand that, recognize that, and they help us uh, to raise the money for the foundation, and, and that's that's how we've chosen to put it back into the community, the majority of it, through our flagship program, Redbird Rookies, it's our baseball, our youth baseball program, uh, through the ball fields, as you mentioned, that we try to build to support the Redbird Rookies program, and, and the grants that we that we give out each year so it's it's a combination we're very fortunate to have the great fan base that we do and and the buy-in from from our players
5: Michael Hall is with us again. Winter warm-up. It's coming up uh, next month. It is on January 13th, 14th, and 15th. Hyatt Regency St. Louis at the Arch. How do you guys keep coming up with new ideas to keep this thing new and and to keep it fresh, Michael? Because I know there are fans that maybe they're coming for the first year this year. Maybe they're coming, uh, you know, for the 10th year. But it seems like you guys are able to uh, adjust and keep uh, things new and and keep fans on their toes every year.
11: Yeah, we – as I mentioned before the fans we get a lot of feedback each year from from fans and we we respect that and we listen to it and and the things that we are able to incorporate we try to incorporate them um different ideas different suggestions uh maybe it's different presentations from the main stage that people are able to enjoy, or maybe it's different presentations, as I mentioned, in some of the breakout rooms, um, or just different things that fans may want to have access to as part of the event. So we try to take that feedback and incorporate it, if, if at all possible. Um, we try to learn from uh, what worked well the year before and, and what maybe did not, so that uh, we're, we're trying to make adjustments each year. So um you know, we take the feedback, uh, very seriously and, and we try to, try to make it better each and every year because we do. We want, we want people to continue to come who have come in the past. Um, we always enjoy seeing them. There's a lot of familiar faces when, when we're there. Like you said, it's been over 20 years. So a lot of recognizable faces from fans that come each year. And then we also really encourage people who have not been able to participate or have not experienced uh, the winter warm up to to give it a try. It's it's all three weekend or all three days um, over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and it's a, it's a great opportunity to come down and just be a part of a be a part of Cardinal Nation.
5: Again, go to cardinals. dot com slash wwu. You can buy tickets. You can see the autograph tickets, both the paid and the free tickets, and get all the information that you need. And we hope to see everyone at the Hyatt Regency St. Louis at the Arch, January thirteenth. 14th, and 15th. Michael Hall, the Vice President of Community Relations and the Executive Director of Cardinals Care. We appreciate it, man. We'll uh, see you in a couple of weeks.
11: Sounds great. Thank you, Chris.
5: Back to wrap things up in a moment on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Stuff those stockings with the 2018 Cardinals official calendar, spotlighting the signature work of the team photographers with a special salute to your favorite Cardinals birthdays. Pick up this must-have holiday gift at St. Louis area retailers or... Call 314 345 Plus, we'll make someone very happy right now. The fifth caller at 314-531-1120 will win one Cardinals calendar. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight. We will see what 2018 brings for the Cardinals after an already exciting offseason and quite the start to our Cardinals countdown to opening day shows. Thank you to all of our guests. Thank you to Mike Claiborne as well who uh, did all of these interviews that we were able to bring you tonight. And... Our great executive producer is Ben Boyd. Thank you to Mike Anderson and Zach Schmidt helping us behind the scenes as well. Happy New Year. This is Chris Raby. We'll talk to you next week in 2018 for Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren right here on the Cardinals Radio Network.
3: It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the A.C. to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the A.C. system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution.